Hi guys, welcome to the Scottish Property Podcast. My name's Stephen Clark. I'm here with my co-host Nick Ponte. This is episode four and it's Property Strategies Part Two. So myself and Nick last week did um, property strategies and we like to talk that much about property that we slavered on far too much that we thought we'd break this episode into two parts. So um, this part is going to cover the last three strategies we're going to speak about, which was buy to flips, commercial residential and new build development. So without further ado, Nick, why don't we get started with you and you can get started on a buy to flip strategies. Right. So a buy to flip is something that we both do as well. Um, I went through a kind of phase of this, so I'll just explain quickly uh, what buy to flip is. So basically, we're talking about buying a property here, usually pretty run down is the best way to do it. Something that's pretty dilapidated. Usually, you can tell them on right move by, uh, you know, flowery wallpaper and, you know, that swirly carpets. <laughs> and you look at the kitchen pictures and it really looks like it's falling to bits. That's the sort of properties you're after. So fix it uppers, do it uppers, call you what you want. What you're wanting to do is you're trying to buy that at a significant discount, uh, basically because it needs the work done. And you are going in and you're pretty much going to be doing a full refurb here. Um, this would be the buy, renovate, and resell model anyway. There is another flip method, but I'll go into that later. Um, so the buy, uh, refurbish, and then uh, sell it on. And now what you've got to bear in mind here as well, that can it can be quite a time-consuming strategy, um, especially if you don't have a builder or a project manager that you're paying to oversee the full project. If you're managing lots of different trades and you're sourcing all the materials yourself, it is pretty much a full-time job on a major renovation. Um, you know, it, it can just, just for example, getting quotes in for your kitchen and getting all that designed. I mean, that can be a, a thing in itself. And then you are having to meet uh, tradesmen to get prices. I mean, there's a couple of tips we could touch on. A thing mm. that I've been doing lately is to save time is actually putting lockboxes, the key box safes at the properties. Love them. I love them. So so obviously myself and, and my, yourself have built up relationships now with tradesmen that we can trust. So we mm. can literally pick up the phone to our joiner or our plumber electrician and say, right, there's a key box at the property. Here's the code. means that you don't need to spend two hours going down there and meeting them. And if it's a location that's not close to your house, it will save you loads of time. So there's a tip straight away. And then they can just get back to you on a price. I think, uh, I think a good one, like you say, is um, dealing with the trades. And we're probably end up doing a podcast in itself as well, as um, do the work up front, trying to get the packages all as detailed as you can, exactly what spec, exactly what floor and tiles you're wanting. But again, if it's guys you've worked with in the past, they'll know what you're looking for. So it'll be easier for them to price it. Yeah. So you're you're basically buying the property, you're doing a significant amount of work to, to bring it up to a really good good standard, and then you're putting it back on the market and uh, ho- hopefully selling it at a profit. Uh, obviously, you need to be careful that you don't overspend on the refurb. Mm-hmm. That is a common mistake that people make. And you need to know your end market as well. So you'll be able to get away with spending a lot more uh, in a property which is in a kind of des- really desirable location, you know, a prestige location where people are willing to pay well and above the home report for a quality product. Uh, so if you're putting in those granite worktops and the porcelainosa tiles, uh, what uh, bathrooms, you know, people are going to really give, you know, it's going to give that wow factor. 
people are mm. going to come in and pay way over the odds for it. And, uh, you know, there's other things you can do, like staging the property, so getting the furniture all in and getting pictures up in the walls and stuff, which will, will really help you as well. Um, that's, that's a good point, Nick. Um, we'll just touch on the kind of risks of the buy and flip. Um, like you say, overspending is, is one. That's a, that's, a, that's a big risk. The other one I always find is, is what happens if it doesn't sell? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, what happens if it doesn't sell? Your exits. Mm. So do you, when you do a buy and flip, do you make sure you have a second exit that you know it's in a rental demand area and that the rental income would would basically tick the boxes for adding it to your portfolio if you couldn't sell it? Yeah, absolutely. So what happens if the property market crashes and you're yeah. stuck with something that's worth you know, 200 grand? then what are the options? Basically, your only other option really is to rent it out. So you need to make sure that if you have to uh, convert that onto a buy-to-let mortgage, now we're getting a wee bit technical here, so obviously depending on how you bought the property, you could have bought it with bridging finance, you could have bought it cash, or you could have... Um, you can't really buy a, a flip for the buy-to-let mortgage. That's going to, um, it's not really, it's against the rules really. And it's or you might get away one or two, t- two times. You might get away one or two, but it's not really allowed. So yeah, mm. if you're stuck with that property and you need to put it onto a buy-to-let mortgage and keep it until the market picks up, then you need to be, uh, obviously, uh, you need to do the numbers at the start so that you know that uh, once you let that property out, Whatever the rent is, then that more than clears the mortgage payments. Yeah. So I, I know this is a, a a topic we're probably going to do a full podcast, and so I won't go into too much details on this one. But um, <clears throat> what I always find that the mistakes that people make when doing flips is they don't know their numbers. <clears throat> yeah. they, they don't know their ADS. They don't know their legal fees are paying. They don't understand that if you've got to keep a property, you have to keep it for six months before the, your buyer can get a mortgage at the other end. So you have to factor in costs of council tax and utilities, your mortgage or your bridging costs for six months. And let's face it, the, the margins can be quite tight now in this market because there's so much competition. So people are paying quite a lot, you know. So buy to flip can be very, very lucrative as well. You know, the, the renovate and, and resale model. Uh, I mean, you, you, you know, you yourself have experienced good profits in that. Me too. We can dive into those numbers and future case studies and things like that. Yeah, I've experienced the good profits and I've experienced the the kind of fuck-ups as well. Um, I've had a couple of times it's happened where I haven't bought in the areas where I know they'll sell quickly and I've thought the numbers are that good, it doesn't matter, I'll sell, I'll, it might take a little bit longer. And if the product's that good, I, I, I think at the time actually I bought these two that I'm, that I'm thinking of. I think I bought into my own hype too much. You know, I was posting my pictures, my before and after on social media and, you know, every property I put on the market was selling within a week and they were going in, you know, 10, 15, 20% over that, the home report price. So it was like, yes, I've got a great product. I'm fucking good at this. They're selling. So I've, I got quite um, slack or a, a bit complacent with the, with the area. And I bought a couple of flips at the time. And when one of them stuck on the market and at the time when I was taking out bridging loans, this is a good lesson for people, for listeners as well. The bridging loan, obviously, your plan is to sell it within six months. So they all were selling within six months. So I, I think I'd, bridging, I'd used bridging finance for a few years at this point and ha- didn't have one go much over the six month. So when this one went over the six month, I didn't realize that when you put on a six month plan with bridging, your bridging loan goes on to a new interest rate. And in this case, it doubled. So it went from 0.75% a month to 1.5% a month. So I went from a 
I went to basically 1,400 quid a month of a bridging loan on this property, which then sat on the market for six months. Yeah. So the pro- it fairly ate into the profit. And at the time as well, I had I think I had three flips on the go at the time. One of them sold very quickly and one of them stuck for six months and one of them ended up sticking for three months as well. So um, that one doubled on on payments as well. So that was a, that was a bit of a sore, a hard lesson to learn, but that's one that you learn. And then when I put on bridging loans, I make sure they're on a 12-month bridge. So you pay slightly more interest rate up front, but you know they don't double or go into the, their variable rate um, for 12 months. Yep. And with the refurbishments as well, you've got to bear in mind, you've got to think to yourself, is this something you're, a lot of people make the mistake of getting into this thinking, right, this is great. I could do all this work myself. And, uh, you know, they might be a little bit handy with the tools and they think I can work on this after my work and evenings and weekends. But that can sometimes really eat into your profits because if you've got a short-term uh, bridge on that or, or, or funding, it's going to take you so much time. If you're only putting in a few hours per evening or at the weekend, I mean, that can really eat into your costs. Do you see that sometimes, people doing that? Yeah, and, and I, I think if I see people make mistakes, and I've, I've done this before in the past, like you're very, very hands-on with the, with the flips, but the ones that I see mistakes and property and flips in general is from tradesmen who think that they yeah. see me doing it. They're going, oh, that's easy. I know I can do that for X amount. I know I can get materials from my, my, my supplier for this amount. I can do all the work myself. So yeah, it might cost you 16 grand to do the refurb. It's only going to cost me eight, mm-hmm. but... The, that the actual the renovation part of the property is the smallest part of a property flip. In all fairness, they've not factored into the, the, the no. time into the equation. Not only the time, but they and don't know got, their costs. You've got to value your time as well. Yeah, and that that as well. Um, but they they don't know their costs, so they think that oh, that's okay. I can buy it at that. I'll save all the costs here. So I should be able to, if I save eight grand on what Stephen can do it for, <clears throat> then surely if he's making profit, I'm making eight grand more. But what they're not understanding is when you're an experienced investor, you know how to buy right. So you've negotiated that price to, you know, they don't believe you can get this 100 grand property for 70 grand, whereas they, they're putting an offer at 95 and getting five grand off it and thinking they've got a little bit of deal. Then they don't understand about ADS and they've just went and paid five grand ADS. So they paid 100 grand for it, whereas we're saying, well, no, we'll you're going on about ADS here, just, just for the benefit of the listeners, what's ADS again? So ADS is additional dwelling supplement. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> you yes, got real, you've got a real bean your bonnet about that one, haven't oh, you? Oh, that's horrible, man. It's horrible. <laughs> Kills me. Um, yeah, it's money that you chuck away at the government every time you buy a property. So it was when they introduced it three years ago, four years ago, it was 3% over 40,000. They've put up to 4% over 40,000. So, I mean, if you don't factor these costs into your numbers up front, which a lot of people that that are beating me at closing dates or have done last year, they don't know they, they don't know what it is. So they've got a nice wee surprise when they've came to uh, to buy their property. They go, oh, you're actually due £5,000 in ADS plus my legal fees plus you know arrangement fee and a mortgage and all these little costs that you don't know that adds up. These are where the, these are where you make the money in the property by buying right in the first place. If you just think yeah. buying it, you've got five grand off it, you're, you're, you're deluded. You're, you're kidding yourself. Unless you can add huge value, obviously. Yeah. Um, the other flip strategy that, that people do as well that I've seen uh, a few times is they sometimes they pick properties up at auctions. Now, you know, I've got mixed uh, views on auctions. There's, in Scotland, there's not a lot of great kind of buys in the auction, in my opinion. Um, but some people pick up properties in auctions or off-market, and then they'll, they'll just flip them again, either in another auction without doing any work to them, 
or uh, you know, back out on the open market. And I've seen that happen quite a few times. And uh, have you seen that as well? I've seen that happen a lot with commercial properties uh, right. locally. That you, they'll buy them from a a lesser known auction site, like maybe like SVA, where they don't really advertise on Rightmove. And then next, and then two weeks later, you'll see them going on to future property auctions where they're on all the all the portals. Um, as <clears throat> it worked for them, I think I saw it work once. The other ones are still sitting on the market, but. When I've done a bit of research on the companies, it was big investment companies in London. So I think they can afford to just, you know, buy these things for a couple hundred grand because I think it's a good deal and try and make a, a quick hundred grand on it. But, yeah, I saw that working really well back in the days, back in the years of like 2010 through to 2014, 15, when there was loads of repossessions and that. Uh, so people were picking up the repossessions, then just like basically putting them back on the next day and mm-hmm. they were making a quick 10 grand. Sorry to interrupt your episode of the Scottish Property Podcast. Just to let you know, one of the co-hosts actually hosts property education workshops aimed at beginners, buy-to-lets, flipping properties, scaling up a property workshop or service accommodation. Head over to the website, thisisproperty.info for more information. And now back to the episode. I've saw it before where um, guys will buy properties and then they'll, they'll wreck it they'll make it worse. They'll fucking put holes in the walls and lift up floor and rip off walls and, and stuff like that. Rip off a door and hang it off <clears throat> and chuck it to the auction. Yeah. And I think that appeals to the... I'm not going to say that's all what a shop at auction, but I think you'll find that it's the, that it's the kind of more amateur investors that are shopping at auctions for flips. And there's the, nothing wrong with starting out. Obviously, we want, no. a, we want this podcast to reach people who are starting out in property. But yeah, exactly. You get sucked into the um, you know the homes under the hammer type style thing where you're yeah. watching that and you're thinking, oh, this is an easy game. All I need to do is go to auction, buy a property, you know, do a bit of work to it, and that's it. But it, is, it can be harder than that. It is definitely harder than that now. It is, and there's there's always a reason why they're auction, especially in today's market. If yeah. today's market, that property can't sell on the market because shitholes sell because people are wanting to do them up and sell them because the property is, the market is very buoyant in our areas. So if, if there's a reason why they're at, they're at the auction, there's either something unforeseen um, or the or the, the sellers are are hoping for the, the kind of amateur investor that's going to see this thinking that it was a good deal because it's at auction, it's at low, or either they'll get carried away with the... With their, with, their, with their auction, with their bidding on the auction, they get carried away and they, they bid more than they should have bid for it. So, um, aye, there's, there's definitely there's definitely the pros and cons from buying an auction. Another thing about auctions as well, I suppose, is um, you only have four weeks to complete as well, so you have to have your finance in place or your cash ready to buy as well. Yeah. Um, okay, Stephen. Uh, should we move on to the next one? Uh, this yeah. one's for you. It's a commercial to residential strategy. Nice. So, kind of commercial residential does exactly what it says in the tin. If you can find a commercial, a property that's been used in a commercial sense, um, whether it be an office shop, whatever, um, and it suits to be turned into a residential, you can often increase values if it's a desirable area by selling as a residential. So, some it, I mean, it depends on you know where the high streets went or where about is. But usually, when I look at something like a commercial residential, <laughs> I think the first thing you have to look at is, would you stay in that property? Because sometimes it could be a very commercial area. And if it is so, then no, I'm wanting a, you know, I don't want a commercial area or a, or a, you know, the shops or supermarkets or hardware stores next to you. Um, 
So yeah, basically you'll have to go and buy the property as a commercial property, apply for the change in use. So you have to do your due diligence to make sure you can actually get the change of use for the property or know that you'll get it and apply for planning. And then obviously you'll have to carry out the, the full renovation of the commercial property, changing it back to uh, a residential or into a residential. <clears throat> um, I've done one of these about a year and a year and a half ago. And it was in a prestigious area in Dunfermline where all the old Victorian houses were old houses. And over the years, they were turned back to, or they were turned into offices like surveyors' offices and estate agents and stuff like that. But when you look at the streets, the street, the, the three streets are beautiful. They're prestigious. Their buildings are lovely. And that's because of the way the high street is going, they actually cry back out to be turned back into houses. But the problem is I think that a lot of them were owned in the business owner's pension. So they didn't care if, if there was more value in it as a, as a, as a commercial or a, as a residential. They were happy when their, their pension pot and their business was paying for their, their return. Um, but we managed to get one, I done it by joint venture with a couple other guys. We got one that was um, owned by a surveyor, had in his pension, and he was looking to retire. So he was looking to exit. And if we got it for about 215 grand. Whereas <clears throat> if that was a house, selling as a house, needing all the work done to it, it'd probably been another 50 grand on it. But he couldn't, he couldn't convert that to a residential in his pension because you can't hold the residential on your, your set pensions. So we managed to buy as a commercial. And I managed to get it off market through a contact I had as well. Um, so yeah, that was that was one that it ticked the boxes. It was it could have suited a residential set. It did suit a residential setting more than it suited a commercial setting. Um, so we need, to, we need to just make it clear as well, though, that this is not just a case of, you know, buying a one-bedroom flat and turning it into a two-bedroom flat, like a, an easy kind of residential, normal uh, development thing. This No, that's, there's a lot more in it. There's a lot more due diligence that goes into it. There's, um, you have to like have to do your due diligence with the planning department to make sure you're going to get your, your change of use and your, your consent. You have to get all your architect drawings done up. Yeah. And then you have to make it compliant to a, to a, to a residential property. Um, the one I had was an old uh, oil tank, big huge oil tank, like twelve hundred liter oil tank in the garden. So obviously that wasn't that was fine for a a resident a commercial space. They didn't need a garden space out the back. Had this big huge tanks in it. So to get rid of the old oil tank heating system, get gas installed in the property, and and put in a new gas and oil heating system, and it was was another issue to overcome as well. And the building was set up for a commercial <laughs> a commercial aspect. So. Um, you know, I had to go and pl- apply for a plan and to put in steel to open spaces up and stuff like that as well. So there was a bit, of, a bit more, a bit more work. It wasn't just a straightforward uh, development, like you say. There's definitely a lot more, a lot more to it. Um, yeah, absolutely, and uh, it's definitely an area that I am really interested in, and something that I want to learn a bit more about. I don't have any experience there, so um, it's definitely something I look at in other, you know, people who are carrying out these sort of conversions commercial or residential i have actually done a a bit of viewing on the commercial side as well and i find that such a different process in itself when Mm. you've got a commercial agents basically the likes of you know dm hall or shepherds or whatever um and you're going out there usually i'm used to viewing houses and flats and it's dead easy you know you get Mm. a home report you know the home report value and you know you basically put your your highest offer in and you know your numbers but with yeah. a commercial unit, it's just you need to do a lot more. You know, you, people talk about getting an architect involved right at the start before you put in the offer, and you need to really know what you can get out of the building. And then, quite often, I think the, 
I think the thing from us probably, sorry, Nick, is commercial properties hard for us to value because the commercial variation is based on the confidence of who's the, the, the tenant who's in the property. So if they're paying 10 grand a year, you're going to do a, they'll mostly do a 10 times multiplier and say that commercial property is worth 100 grand. So to me and you, we're looking at valuation going, but it's empty. But yeah. it's only really worth what the, the, the tenant's paying in rental income. Um, and that's how most surveyors will value a commercial property. So again, that's difficult for us as well. And obviously we like to try and, I've got a few people in my mastermind group and they're quite in a commercial property. Um, one of them is, very, all he does is commercial property now. And he's always encouraging me to get into commercial property. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, can they more look at it than it can be? But it's that, you don't it's know what you don't know. It's holding a commercial to, to let, to rent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rather than converting it to residential. Yeah, definitely. He says, he says, oh, I don't understand why people are wanting to convert commercial into residential. Why not just keep them as commercial? Yeah, um, where you can add cool. value to it there. But again, it's a t- completely different strategy altogether. And, yeah. um, something you get to get it. somebody on as well. If anybody's listening to this and they do commercial property. Um, I know I know. just the guy we'll interview for a com- we'll commercial get him, We'll get him on then. We'll get him on. He, nice one. He's got, a, he's got a very interesting strategy, actually. And, it, and, it, and it's very relatable to us, actually. Okay. Um, so he he does multi-let commercial. So he'll get a commercial unit and he'll split in the individual office spaces and he'll so it'll be multiple tenants paying multiple rental incomes. So it's it's very, very, very good. Um I'm sure he'll be keen to come on. Yeah, when we're talking about commercial, we're talking about all different types of buildings. So it could be offices. I, I saw one the other day in Glasgow and I actually posted it on the Facebook group and it was a an old pub. Um so this was a pub and they'd applied for planning permission. Uh, for uh, I think it was a couple of houses so you know if you can get the planning permission you can get significant gain mm-hmm. in value and I think it can work quite well but I think location would be quite critical with that Key, as well. yeah yeah um, so that takes on to our last strategy which I think you're going to cover new build new build development Okay, so new build development uh, again, not something that I've done, but I think Stephen, you've got something happening in the pipeline. But I'll just explain to listeners what that is. So basically, what we're talking about here is we're, we're finding land, aren't we? You know, we're going out and we're sourcing lands that either has planning permission, um, consent, planning consent agreed, uh, which obviously you'll pay uh, you'll pay a lot more for because they've gone through that process, so you know exactly what you can get out of it, uh, or else possibly sourcing land, which you know you see potential in, but uh, you would need to apply to local authorities for uh, planning permission to build out either houses or flats. Now, that in itself can be a very time-consuming process from what I understand. Um, you know, y- you hear some people talking about land deals taking as much as two or three years to get through planning permission you know so you have to be prepared for that yeah they're not exactly going to be quick cash flow and um uh, strategies that's for sure and even like see so your flips at least you know you've kind of got a bit of an exit where you all right i can i'm going to be like this in six months with land like you say it's very hard to put a time frame on gaining a planning mission and then getting applying for your building warrant getting the go-ahead to build getting the build done out and then selling out. So, and, I'll, and I think the risk for me would certainly be a new build is changing markets. It takes that long. Yeah. How do you predict where the market is? So I can do my end values on a new build right now and say, <clears throat> it's going to be worth this. But if you take two years to build out, what's, where's the market at? Has it went up 6 7% a year or has it crashed? And you're sitting there going, oh shit, we've based our numbers on a 200 grand end value for a, for a property. It's now worth 
170, 180. That's, that's a real danger. I think that's where you saw probably a lot of uh, you know small developers uh, going bust in the in the crash as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that wiped out a lot of that market. <laughs> I did. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think um, that the the thing that's quite important. I mean, obviously, if you get this strategy right, I mean, you can make serious serious like money out of this can't you mm. I do see some people doing very well um but i've know. managed to mitigate the risk um from the new build and the reason i'll bring up it's kind of goes back to uh, i based the new the new build or dipping my toe in the new build as um as a buy to let so there's a i found a buy to let house as normal that would that would do had the, the three exits against this property that was that was that was picking up so I could have flipped the property and made decent profit um, because I had came with a 0.6 acre of garden site at the back and my plan was to apply for planning mission for, for the back. I'd got an architect to draw up in a sketch and he came up with, you know, I think we can get three houses in the back of the garden. So I had an access road. I was looking at a, where the services were and everything. So I thought, well, there's a nice exit here. I can, I've got access to try and flip it, try and get planning, don't get planning, flip the property on. Um, but what I'd done my numbers on basically was the property that I picked up was 112 grand and all I needed was a light refurb. And I knew that once the light refurb was finished, it was going to be worth 160, 165. <clears throat> so if you look at it from a buy to let point of view, if I had to put a buy to let mortgage, I am renting this property out. Um, if I had to put a buy to let mortgage on this property, I'd be able to pull all the money out back out, leaving the land completely unencumbered. So the land's been free. So to me, it gave me a, a, a no risk entry into new build developments, if you know what I mean. So right. I'm not forking out for land. I'm not trying to get, I'm, I'm gaining planning mission by owning the land. Um, so it's quite, it's probably quite key to talk about that at the moment because mm-hmm. it's combining a few different strategies. Like I made, I, I knew what I was looking for to get this. I knew what I wanted to do, new builds on it. But I also said, well, if it doesn't work, I can flip it. If it doesn't work, I can rent it out. So um, when the planning was dragging its feet, we did the kind of like refurb just rented the property out. So the, the property is bringing in 700 quid a month. There's no mortgage in it yet. We're, we're still going through planning. But the other key factor for me is something that I'm keen on doing the, the last few years is joint venture. So, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And there's people with more experience and in, in different attributes and qualities and skill sets or capital or time or whatever that you don't have. There's always a way of managing the, these up. And uh, on this particular project, I didn't have a clue about new builds. It's, it's something I've not done before. And I didn't want to, and I suppose it's like starting property. You always make mistakes in the co- or very costly mistakes in property. So with new builds, I didn't understand what was below the ground, the services, the structure. And that was what I thought was going to be costly. So um, <clears throat> I brought on a guy I've known through martial arts for a long, long time. And uh, he's been a project manager doing development for developers for, for a long time as well, 25, 30 years. So he's got a lot of experience, really nice guy, shares the same values and ethics as me, and it's somebody I could work, I know I could work with. Um, so I brought him on board on the project as well, along with another guy who was, who was part of it, was to finance it as well. And uh, the three of them are joint venture on this on this, this site. But the deal was kind of all bought based on the fact that the land owes us no money, so there's, there's no risk in it. But... Um, guy, the joint venture partner that I brought in, he done his side of the due diligence on the land. You know, he checked the the soil the contaminants, getting you know site investigations done, desktop surveys done, and all uh, architects to do <coughs> their checks, structural engineers to do their checks. Um, 
Um, what else did he do? Checked all the services, the gas, the connections, the the drain connections, surface water, which was a bit an issue, but I'll probably go on that at some other point. He brought in a huge amount of value that I never knew about the check for. So the due diligence that we were doing on a property, he done on, on land. So it was it was a great experience and a great learning curve actually having him involved in the project. That's cool. I mean, that's good to get the first-hand experience there. And I'll be mm. looking forward to uh, you sharing your progress on that one. That'll be really, really exciting. You're going to make me do our Facebook Live in our group as well. You we definitely do. In fact, I might even come out uh, with the video camera and film you on site. Breaking ground. With, with your hard hat, uh, hard, hard, hard hat and your high-vis <laughs> high vest. And my uh, rigger boots. That'll be good. Um, I think, uh, yeah, another couple of things that I've seen that, that look like they could be quite, uh, that they could work quite well. A really interesting development uh, that I have spotted in, in Glasgow where the guys bought some land and I think he got the land quite cheaply because I've seen it advertised. So I think you can pick up bits of land. You know, if they don't have planning, you can, you can get land quite cheap. Um, and I've just spotted, I've been following this bit of land now for a couple of years and um, I've been following the progress and I drove past it the other day, I hadn't been past it in a while and he's made some cracking progress. What he's done is he's built six terrace, it's like a row of terraced houses, I can't remember if it's five or, or six anyway, a row of terraced houses, right, really nice kind of townhouse type style with really kind of cool big windows and all that and uh, what I think he's doing is through the grapevine, uh, as he's he's doing it as serviced accommodation, so he's got houses in oh, quite nice. a good location, and he's going to be doing them uh, as uh, short term lets. And I think that was pretty genius. I think that worked really really well. So I'm going to be looking out on uh, Booking.com and see what he's charging for them soon, because I think they're just about complete. And another thing that I think is going to be really big for the future as well, which I've been doing a bit of research about, is uh, build to rent. Have you heard of this strategy? Well, well, this is the reason why I've always wanted to get into new builds. I've heard about it a few years ago, and it's something that it ticks my developer's box and it ticks my investor's box. So, yeah, it's something that I'm very keen to get involved in. And this is why I want to cut my teeth on this small development site in Cowdenbeath. So, yeah, you want to explain a little bit more about it? So, developer comes in, uh, does all the, the, the builds, so your you know, apartments or whatever. Again, usually in pretty decent locations. All the ones that I've spotted have been going up and good locations and then what they're doing at the end is holding them uh, and converting them on to depending on what finance they've got at the end they must convert them on to like buy to let it's either buy to let mortgages or a commercial product mortgage which allows them to then rent them out uh, and then they'll get a managing uh, property manager and a letting agent basically to to manage all the units and just get them let out uh, it's, a, it's a great strategy i, I think it's uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of tax breaks I think from the government because of the fact that it's helping deal with the housing crisis and the housing shortage that we have. So yep. they're obviously wanting to try and encourage developers to build and hold for for kind of affordable or social housing that they can rent back out. Yeah, and obviously the aim is you know they've they've done all the the development finance and that, and then at the end when its development's complete, they're then getting the valuation based on each unit, and then they're mm. refinance refinancing that. And they're probably pulling all their money back out, you know, uh, and possibly more. So I think just at the end, there's a couple more points that we should mention. Depending what strategy uh, you go for, you should also, there's a couple other questions you should ask yourself. Uh, and uh, one of the things is, have you consulted your family on this? So if you're uh, in a relationship, then you really need to talk to your 
your uh, your partner about what you're going to do as well because it could have a significant impact because if you go into something like deal sourcing for example and as I said before that's going to take up a lot of time most viewings uh, will be like evenings and weekends you know because estate agents are wanting to maximize the number of people that they get out to the viewings so if you've got a, a family with three kids and you're not coming back in the evenings or, and you're going to be out looking at properties in the weekends, unless you take your kids with you, then, you know, your partner might get pissed off, you know? So it's something that you really need to have a talk about. Make sure your partner's on side. Uh, and as well as that, you will get people uh, in your family, you know, it could be your, your mum, your dad, your brother, sister, auntie, uncle, who will come to you and say they'll probably have a negative perception of property and they'll probably say, that's risky. Don't get involved in that. You'll lose all your money. And that- yeah, that's, a, that's a good point, actually, Nick. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, we, we did speak about the pros, the cons of each strategy, but it's worth talking about the, the time commitment required and how that affects your, your life and what you do for a, in your career and your family life. If you're a single man, you do what you want. That's fine. But um, like you said, if you've got family, um, the different strategies are going to put different constraints on your time. Yeah. I think it's just, it's just definitely something to think about right from the start. Um, and the other thing to think about is, you know, when you're choosing your strategy is time frame. We touched on this in the goal settings. So when you see your end goal, you've got to think, right, how am I going to get there and how much time is that going to take? Am I able to do this strategy with a full-time job? You know, you might be seeing the, the, the big numbers of the service departments but if you've got a full-time job where you're working 50 to 60 hours a week, how the hell are you going to manage all that? You know, unless you get uh, an agent basically to do all the management, which then they charge 15, 18% and that eats up your profit. So there's all these things to think about, uh, you know, in terms of time and the time frame and your expectations. Um, and a lot of people make the mistake where they'll go in to buy to let, you know, thinking that's great, I'll get 20 properties, and they've built up a, a, a deposit to get the first property, but they've not bought correctly as well to suit their goal. So they'll, they'll put, maybe they've saved up 20 grand, but then they'll just buy something that's not been discounted or they've not negotiated on and they can't add value or refinance, then they're stuck for like two or three years. They can't move on and build up their portfolio. Give us some shout outs, uh, Stephen. We want to, uh, again, plug the podcast. So tell us where people can get us. Yeah, so we're we're appreciating the group building. Um, there's there's a fair amount of members going into it. It's getting quite interactive. So, yeah, we're happy with that. If you can subscribe on iTunes and give us a review, that'd be great. We'd love to get out to more listeners. Um, and any feedback you've got from what you've listened to so far in the last few episodes, we would really appreciate that. And any thing you'd like covered in the future, um, let us know and we'll, we'll try and cover it. We'll have a chat about it. Okay, thanks very much, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye for now.